Hi, this is Beth AQ, and this is the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. The Glass House is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anyone who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. I hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website. Everyone in the world has gone to bed one night or another with fear or pain or loss or disappointment. And yet each of us has awakened and arisen. There is the nobleness of the human spirit. Despite it all, black and white, Asian, Spanish, Native American, pretty, plain, thin, Fat, vowed or celibate, we to the Glass House here in Triple R. My name is Beth AQ. I begin uh, today by acknowledging that we broadcast on stolen, unceded lands of the Kulin Nation. We broadcast on the lands of the Wandry people here at Triple R. They have cared for this land since time immemorial. And I acknowledge First Nations peoples of this country as the first storytellers of this land and pay deep respects to elders past and present, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Coming up on the show today, I'm very excited. I've got some really amazing guests as always. Coming up, award-winning Ojibwe journalist and author Tanya Taliga. Uh, she's joining to speak about her latest book. It's called All Our Relations, Indigenous Trauma in the Shadow of Colonialism. And it, it's a book that documents the suicide crisis among Indigenous communities and in particular in young people uh, in Canada, um, but also colonised nations across the world, including Scandinavia and in South America and, and here in in so-called Australia. That one is out through Scribe. And then a little bit later on in the program, I'm excited to again be joined by incredible writer and academic Dr. Tressa Leclerc, who is coming back to join us here in the Glass House to talk about the First Nations and People of Colour Count, which seeks to count the number of books um, across a range of genres, nonfiction, fiction, poetry, children's lit and YA by, that have been written um, by First Nations and POC writers um, published in 2018. And they have a really amazing team of academics and writers that are behind this initiative. Um, so we'll be chatting about 
where that's at. So that'll be a little bit later on. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. You are in the glass house on this Wednesday afternoon, and I'm excited to have my first guest joining me on the line. Um, Tanya Taliga is an award-winning Anishai Bay, uh, sorry, yeah, Anishai Bay writer and journalist and joins this afternoon to talk about her recent book, All Our Relations, Indigenous Trauma in the Shadow of Colonialism. Uh, It's a book that explores youth suicide in Indigenous communities uh, across the world. It looks at Canada, but also um, other colonised nations. Um, And I'm, yes, I'm so excited to have Tanya joining me on the line. Um, Welcome to Triple R and thanks so much for your time. It's nice to talk to you. So I'd love to, I suppose, first invite you to just introduce yourself and and tell us where you're you're coming to us from right now. Buzu anin tanya talaga nagisnakas. I am speaking to you from Takaranto, and that's where I live. This is the traditional territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit, the traditional home of the Haudenosaunee and the Huron-Wendat people. Um, and I'm very grateful to be talking to you today. Um, thank you so much for that. And and you join us today to talk about um, this new book. It's um, All Our Relations. But to start, I suppose, uh, at the beginning, um, I know that you've spent uh, over two decades working as a journalist and have gone on to um, write your the other book, uh, Seven Fallen Feathers, which I almost feel like it um, is uh, is a foundation for this um, this book. Um, I'd love if you could kind of tell us a little bit about your journey to this book. Thanks for that question. Um, the journey is kind of a, a long one, um, but it's also a journey that starts from within inside of me. I mean, I am um, my mother's family and my mom um, on my mother's side. I am uh, an Ojibwe Indian, so I am Anishinaabe. My mother is from Fort William First Nation, which is on the northern shore of Lake Superior. And Lake Superior is the largest freshwater lake in the world. And uh, my father, uh, he was Polish. So um, I come from a rather interesting background. Um, Most people would look at me and say, oh, you must be Spanish or Italian. Um, But I am uh, definitely Ojibwe. And um, this, uh, the story of the book is, um, it's kind of a long story. Um, I spent just over 20 years as a reporter at the Toronto Star, which is Canada's largest daily circulation newspaper. And um, I started to write about why it is our children were dying at their own hands, um, probably around 2008, 2009. And the book, All Our Relations, is a result of the journalism that was started um, over 10 years ago. over visits that I, I made to uh, the James Bay, Mushkigagwak communities, Cree communities um, of uh, Moose Cree First Nation, where I met um, I met some incredible women and people that um, were trying to figure out why it is our children are dying. 
Um, and of course, the, the reasons why I, I do believe are deeply rooted in the history of our nations, of our colonized nations, Canada, America, Australia, um, Brazil, Northern Norway and Sweden, the Sami lands, all colonized nations, Sarah, um, a sad history of um, being colonized and the results of many of those policies lead to why it is our, our kids are dying today. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this book really, as you said, interrogates why youth suicide is so prevalent in, in First Nations communities, as you said, across, uh, you know, all those colonised nations. And it really looks at, I suppose, the ongoing displacement and genocide of First Nations communities across the world. Um, you know, obviously something that has unfortunately been happening for generations how do you go about tackling like the weight and the depth of, of this issue? How did you first, I suppose, start going about it? Um, well, actually, I started going about it in a most Western way. I started to look at medical studies. I started to interview doctors and nurses and psychiatrists about why it is um, that our children were dying, you know, and there's been so many medical studies. You can pick up any medical journal, you can pick up any newspaper and read studies and uh, news stories of, you know, X amount of children from X community have uh, tried to take their lives. And I always wanted to look beyond those numbers. And I always felt that the reason why our kids were dying was because of our shared collective history. Mm. It's a history of a violent displacement of our people from the land, um, a tearing away of ourselves from our communities and our language and our customs and our cultures um, and the um, sort of the forced removal very much of our children and putting them into um, Indian residential schools. That's what we call them in Canada. Um, they're called boarding schools in the United States. And as well in Australia, you, you've had that same history of children being removed and, you know, um, um, being put into, uh, you call them the stolen generation in Australia, mm -hmm. uh, put into um, white families to be raised. And we've seen this as well in America um, and in Canada and in Brazil. Um, a loss of culture and who you are. You know, that's so important as a, as a young person, as a child, to know who you are and where you come from. And when that's gone, it's, um, it, it hurts. Mm. I, I'm interested if you can speak a little bit about why it was so important to draw these connections between First Nations communities living in, in different colonised nations. You know, it was just something that um, when I started to look at the similarities between um, colonized nations, it was just there to sort of, you know, smack me in the face. Um, we all had that same history, the history I was just talking about, you know, of the stolen generation, of the boarding schools, um, of the reservations, of being um, put in, I know in Australia, of, you know, um, Indigenous people being put into you know, small tracts of land and um, being told this is where you live and you don't live anywhere else and we're taking your land for the settlers. You know, we had that in Canada, we've had that in America, we've had that in the Sami lands, we've had that in Brazil. And all of those things um, show you a violent separation of the people from the land. 
and it all sort of leads to um, a destruction of our cultures. And what was amazing to me was every every nation I looked at, we all had these similarities. And sadly, we all had the same similarities, too, of our children taking their lives, especially our male children taking their lives in great numbers. Um, and so you just can't help but making that leap, that next logical leap. Well, we all must be connected that way. You know, it must be because of all of these things that led us here. Yeah. And as you say at the beginning of the book, suicide is a new behavior for uh, First Nations people when you explore the and, and really highlight, I suppose, the inadequacies of the healthcare systems, the mental healthcare systems to kind of deal with what is, as you say, is a is a preventable uh, health crisis. And you also go on to kind of speak about decolonizing the healthcare system and, and the mental healthcare system, and you know, which has you know never felt more pertinent than amid a global health pandemic. Can you speak to that a little bit? You know, um, I really think that um, so many of our healthcare systems. I, I know, and you know, I, I know Canada's healthcare system quite quite well, and I, I think that Australia's is quite similar from the research that I've done. Um, our health systems were never set up to help Indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Our health systems were never there to handle the mental, the mental health and the trauma that results of. Uh, that is the result of residential school. You know, I talk a lot about intergenerational trauma and what that means. You know, that's that violent displacement of people from the land. That's kids being taken and put into schools, schools where they're not able to speak their language, schools where they're not able to, you know, have any bits of their culture with them, any of their clothing, any um, not being able to be with their sisters and their brothers or speak their language. Um, that tearing away from who you are, um, really just mentally, it, it is devastating on, on children. Mm -hmm. And you see that, you know, time and time again with each, um, each of the, um, each of the countries that I look at and how do you decolonize systems that have had these histories of that? Um, we have to start looking at indigenous um, systems of health and mental health and learning from the land and learning language and reclaiming who we are in order to instill pride again in our children in order to bring them out from those suicidal tendencies. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's what I'm talking about mostly in the book. If you have just joined us, uh, we are lucky enough to be joined by Tanya Talaga. Uh, we're talking about her book, All Our Relations, Indigenous Trauma in the Shadow of Colonialism. Uh, Tanya, I'd love to talk a little bit more about, I suppose, the research for this project. You know, the book is so rigorous in its research and it's, you know, equally full of heart. And I know that you've spoken to numerous elders and members of many First Nations communities um, across the nations that we've spoken about, as well as, um, you know, healthcare professionals, uh, etc. I'd love to, to learn a little bit more about what that research process was like and how you navigated, I suppose, the different cultural protocols that um, perhaps were there to, to access this kind of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that question. You know, I was really lucky to be um, to be part of um, sort of hangout for a while with the Federata Group, and the Federata Group are a group of Indigenous mental health professionals 
from all colonized nations. And so um, they're from America and from Canada and from Australia and from New Zealand and from the Sami lands. And we actually went, all of us, um, so they meet every single year. Um, and um, this group of professionals um, I was so lucky to get to know, um, we went to go visit the Sami lands um, in northern Norway, a little place called Lokself, um, where the Sami people live. And the Sami people, um, they follow the reindeer, the reindeer herds, and they are an indigenous culture that have been in northern Norway and Sweden and Finland and in Russia from, well, from the beginning of time. And um, when I was with that group, I was so grateful to be with all of these incredible women from um, Maori women from New, uh, New Zealand. And also I got to meet Dr. Helen Milroy, who is one of the very first um, indigenous psychiatrists in Australia. Mm-hmm. And I spent quite a bit of time with her and learning about all the work that she has done, um, the work that she did with the commission that looked into sexual abuse in uh, many of your institutions. Um, and she taught me so much. And there was also a couple other representatives from the um, Australia government who were uh, First Nations as well that were there on that trip. And it was the coolest thing because, you know, there we were, all of these Indigenous people um, that are interested in mental health. I was the journalist, and they were all actually the experts in mental health and uh, cultures and customs. And I was just honestly grateful to be in their presence and to learn from them um, all at once. Mm. It must have been an amazing experience. And, yeah, it really, I suppose all that knowledge just can really shine through in the book. Um Tanya, a question that you pose, I suppose, towards the end of the book is something that I'd, I'd love if you're able to speak to, and it kind of talks about how do we address the seeming contradiction between progress and regression, um, you know, when perhaps they're, they're happening at the same time. That's a difficult one. Um, it always feels like we're making two steps forwards and taking 10 steps backwards, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um you know, we see it now with what's happening um, in throughout North America and throughout the world with Black Lives Matter and with Indigenous Lives Matter. There's a final, like, I hope there's an awakening now to the struggles, um, the human rights struggles that we have been facing as, as a people. And um, sometimes we talk about we talk about how important it is for everyone to have equity and for everyone to have human rights. But actually putting that into practice is something quite different. And that's sort of the progress and the regression. Mm. I mean, you know, putting that into progress means things like power sharing. It means big changes to governments like in Australia and in Canada. It means sharing with the indigenous people whose land was taken. And, you know, and recognizing the human rights abuses, which are huge in both of those nations. Mm-hmm. Now, are, are we ready for that? You know, in a, in a way we are, in a way, because, you know, you and I are having this conversation where we're actually talking about this. Um, and about five years ago, we wouldn't be talking about this in Australia. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't be talking about this in Canada. So that's, that's progress. But mm-hmm. the regression is acknowledging it, but not actually backing it up with change and backing it up with legislation that is actually followed. Yeah. 
And I suppose in, in some ways it's not just a distant hope. Like there are, you know, as you you kind of point out, there is so much work already being done right now. I, I'm wondering if you can kind of speak to some of the wonderful community-led strategies and initiatives and programs that are that are already happening, that are already taking place. I think the return back to the land. I mean, I know in many of our communities here, um, we are really struggling with um, trying to teach our kids language. Um, you know, and I'm sure the same is in Australia um, in Canada. Like, you know, we have, oh my gosh, I think it's something like 60 First Nations languages are absolutely threatened right now with extinction. And teaching our kids language is so important because language tells you who you are. It's a way of seeing the world um, in a completely different way that's so important for Indigenous people. Um, and I know it's it's the same um, as well in Australia. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's tough, but these are the, these are the things we need to do. We need to do land based, language based programs in order to show our youth that they are important and that they belong, um, and they can actually, you know, we should be in a certain place where we are helping leading nations and leading the world. Because that's what our cultures do. Mm-hmm. They're inclusive and they are um, helpful. Um, we don't tear down. We build up. Yeah, I, I'm wondering if I suppose that kind of leads into the, the title of the book, All Our Relations. It you know, really speaks to um, the, the power of, of having community and having people. And I'm just wondering if you can, I suppose, talk a little bit about um, the, the title and, and why you landed on that. Well, actually, it's um, there's a saying amongst the Cree in Canada, and it's um, um, usually when we we begin, when the Cree begin or when they end, what they're saying, they always say, "All my relations," and so I have borrowed this from them, and I'm saying, "All our relations," because you know we're not sending anybody back. We're not sending anybody back in Australia, back to Europe where they came from, and we're not sending anybody back in Canada where they came from. You know, we're all here together, and we have to figure this out. We have to figure out a way forward that is going to be beneficial for all of our children because an Australia that is built on the beauty of what it means to be Indigenous and also to um, what is happening with the, the settler cultures there to build the land. And the same in Canada. You know, we need to we need to work with each other now because we're kind of stuck with each other. It's one of those things. We're all in this marriage now and we have to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's our relations. Um, yeah, I hope that we can move forward together and that, yeah, just continue having these conversations and, yeah, work towards more real actual change. Um, Tanya, I was reading somewhere or listening to an interview that you did that um, said that you have a podcast coming out. Um, so I just wanted to ask you a little bit about um, what that experience has been like for you also kind of going on to, to yeah, to create a podcast and, and what's it about? Thanks for asking. Um, the podcast is called Seven Truths, and it will be out this fall. I believe it'll be in October, um, and it's um, it's going to be on Audible, so it's Amazon. Um, and it's it's about the seven grandfather teachings. So um, I am an Anishinaabekwe. 
um, where I am from, the Great Lakes region of um, North America, which we call Turtle Island, um, we believe that there are sort of seven seven rules, seven words that lead us to leading a good life. These are the things you must do to lead a good life. Things like following truth and respect and humility and love and honor. And um, the podcast um, is uh, each, there's um, seven episodes and each of the seven episodes deals with each of the seven teachings. And I tell a contemporary story to um, illustrate those teachings and to hopefully show um, show everyone how we're all in this together and that there is a path there's a path forward well I very much look forward to listening to that um, Tanya thank you so much for your time I, I really appreciate it and yeah thanks for all of your your work I, I look forward to continuing um, listening and, and and reading your work Kitchi Miigwitch for having me I um, I want to say good morning and hello to everyone out there mm-hmm. Uh, we were just chatting there with Tanya Talaga, who is an award-winning writer and journalist. Uh, she has just created uh, this book, All Our Relations, Indigenous Trauma in the Shadow of Colonialism, and it's out now through Scribe. You're on Triple R. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. And I have my next guest joining me on the line. The question, the question of whether diversity is adequately supported within the Australian publishing industry, particularly as it relates to First Nations and POC writers, remains unanswered in the form of statistical research. The first First Nations and People of Colour count seeks to count the number of books by First Nations and POC writers writers published in 2018 and joining me to talk about it this afternoon is wonderful writer and academic Dr. Tressa Leclerc. Tressa thank you so much for your time. Oh it's so great to be here Beth thanks for having me. It is always a pleasure uh, to have you on the show. I think we chatted um, about this research pretty much exactly a year ago so I'm very excited to I suppose see how it's progressed and, and see where it's at now. Um, but I suppose to begin, it's, you know, it's no surprise that uh, the power of statistical research can really strengthen um, an argument, particularly when you've got a lot of devil, devil's advocates hanging about. Um, I suppose just to begin to you, why is this research important? Um, yeah, I think the devil's advocate angle is a really good one. Um, but, you know, uh, we've, we haven't done this before in Australia yet. We've seen similar counts conducted in the United States and in the UK, another study recently came out looking at the publishing industry. We've had a few kind of questions about or questions raised about the publishing industry, um, but we haven't really done this count to examine the extent to which or, or to examine like how many writers of color and First Nations writers are being published. And so this could really give us an insight into what's happening and sort of ways that we could improve. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's really exciting because, you know, it backs up what a lot of people um, already know. But I think, yeah, just being able to have the strength of the, those numbers is is undoubtedly so important. Can you tell me a little bit about um, how this initiative first began? 
Um, well, there was a group of us of writers and industry experts, and we got to chatting about, you know, how a study like this is needed. And so um, we kind of, I don't know, we just, we, we started thinking about ways that we could do it. And it's quite a big study. I mean, we're looking at 3,200 titles in 2018 um, and examining the writers that were published. So it is a big undertaking. We got together with um, several other academics. Um, we've got a couple of committees. We've got the executive committee and we've got the um, administrative committee. And it's made up of First Nations academics and academics of color. And so this did take a little while to get started, but once it did, we um, started a fundraiser. We put that um, online and that went around and it was really wonderful to see people's reactions because they really wanted to know this information as well. And it was wonderfully supported and we had so many wonderful contributions. We were able to raise um, $26,559. And then um, we hired a researcher and the research has um, already gotten underway. So we started a few months ago and we're looking forward to seeing the results. I think we're thinking of seeing them about uh, maybe the end of the year or early next year. That's really exciting. Um, and I suppose I'm very much n not, uh, I don't have a researcher's brain. Can you tell me a little bit about how you even go about tackling that big number of books and titles? Oh, I think it's going to take a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that we did was we, we hired a researcher um, that had a really wonderful methodology and talked about it. Um, with the committee, so we've got the executive committee that's made up of Dr. Natalie Kanyu, um, Dr. Amberlyn Koimolina, myself, Rebecca Lim, and Allison Whitaker, and we've also got uh, Professor Tony Birch, who's advising on it as well. And um, we've got an administrative team. committee with uh, Marissa Waramakame and Hela um, Ibrahim, who's from Judd Press, and Jasmeet Sari and uh, Jackie Tang. So we sort of got together thinking about ways that we could do this. Um, and then Emily Booth is the one that's conducting the research. And yeah, just got started, I guess. Just started counting. Um, and I suppose, as you said before, this is not something that um, has been done in this country, but there's, you know, obviously I'm, or I'm assuming there's similar research out there that's perhaps been done overseas. Um, I'm interested yeah, I suppose are there are there other industries that have um, explored a similar um, type of thing about the participation of First Nations and and POC writers um, elsewhere. Um, well, there was one study that just came out called Rethinking Diversity, and that was a report published in the UK, and it was really interesting the findings because they they didn't do like a, a count. What they did was they did a series of interviews. And what they found was that um, the core audience for publishers were white and middle class, which meant that the whole industry was set up to cater to this audience, which impacted the way that writers of color um, were published, because that means that they're catering to a certain audience, or they might be exoticized or whitewashed. Mm. So, you know, there's this desire to reach a much more diverse audience but they found that they needed to tackle those assumptions about who those audiences were. And there was also um, Diversity Arts Australia ship Shifting the Balance Report. I don't know if you heard about this. Yeah. Um, I think this came out late last year, and it was looking at um, called representation, which is, I don't know if you know who called our 
or the the acronym called, but that's basically kind of looking at um, people that don't identify as being from an Anglo-Celtic background. And they found that the literature and publishing sector had pretty good representation of um, leaders. So called leaders were about 14% within the industry, but they were still underrepresented. Mm-hmm. So we can look at some studies that have come out before. Um, there was a solid diversity count as well that came out before, but they haven't been as extensive or um, focusing particularly on book publications and authors like we are in the study. Yeah, this kind of critical analysis of the publishing industry I, you know, I think it's so important and it's so needed and I'd love to to know your thoughts why you don't think something like this is, has has happened before. Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I'm not sure why it hasn't happened before. Um, I just know that, you know, I, it's going to be really helpful, I think, for a lot of people because you know, we can look at this data and we can apply it to different areas. We can apply it to studies. We can apply it to essays. We can even, you know, have those arguments with the devil's advocates and say, well, look, you know, this is what the study says. Mm. So depending on what we find, I mean, we we could find that um, we are really well represented in certain areas as well, but maybe not in others. So we can identify where we can improve. And I think that's really important and really useful. Yeah, I I think that's another interesting question, thinking about um, where the representation is. And uh, I suppose just thinking about the publishing industry at large, um, or I suppose any different industry, but thinking about um, who who is at the top of these organisations, who is holding perhaps the most power, yeah, I'm not sure if that is something that can be tackled in, in, in this, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a bigger conversation. Um, I'm interested in how, you know, I know that, you know, you're an academic. I'm, I'm interested in how this research kind of plays into your, your, your work at large. Yeah, um, it does quite play into it, I think. I mean, um, what I kind of look into is Um, The question, I think lately I've been looking into the question of cultural appropriation in creative writing Mm. and how that's perceived in debates around it and controversies that have sprung up around the issue of cultural appropriation. So I was looking at um, American Dirt recently. Did you hear about this book? No, I haven't. Oh, well, there was this book that was published in the United States called American Dirt, and it was about um, people fleeing from Mexico a woman fleeing from Mexico because of cartel violence. And there was a controversy that sprung up around that because the writer, I believe her um, grandmother is Latina, but not Mexican. And so there were questions around the stereotypes that were inside of this book. There were quite a few, it seemed. Um, and like uh, Miriam Gerba wrote a review about it and that went viral. And she was talking about those stereotypes. So she's from a Mexican background. And this raised questions about which stories are being elevated inside of the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. And that was really interesting because we've seen this kind of framed as a debate and happening over and over again within sort of the literary sphere and articles that come out. But um, it seemed to take on a different dimension during this controversy. There were a lot of articles published on um, the publishing industry in particular, which was really interesting. 
I I definitely have to um, check it out. If you have just joined us, we are chatting to um, writer and academic Dr. Tressa Leclerc. We're talking um, all about the First Nations and POC Writers Count, um, which is looking at all books, or sorry, it's looking at books published in 2018. Um, Tressa, I'm interested, I suppose, you know, you're kind of um, down the line in this process. It's been happening for um, a little bit now. I'm interested if you can tell us a little bit about, um, wh- yeah, where like where you feel like it's sitting now, and if that's kind of changed over the over the last year. Um, the the whether the publishing industry has changed over the past year. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I think it has. Like, I think there is a lot more attention on wanting to publish diverse books. I mean, there's some really wonderful, um, you know competitions and publications and yeah I think there's been some great panels as well um the next chapter competition looks really wonderful I think there there are ways that people are trying to elevate more marginalized groups within the discussion absolutely Mm -hmm. um and so hopefully that does change I mean we may find um if we do another study, for example, for 2019 and 2020, that this starts to increase. And do you see this as something that will um, extend beyond looking at 2018? Do you see that it will continue? I'd like to see it continue. I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's something that's really important to look at. And um, I would love to see what the, the comparison is between 2019 and 2020. And if people do want to find out a little bit more information about what we're talking about, um, should where should they head? Um, well, um, we've got a few publications that have come out um, talking about the, um, the count. Um, I think Jed Press just published a press release. So I think there's, I think maybe just find us on Twitter or um, just have a look around and you can find um, some more information about the count. Awesome. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's really exciting that it's happening and it's really, yeah, it's really great to hear that how far it's progressed in the, in the last year because it sounds like a, it's a massive undertaking. So, yeah, I really appreciate your time, Chessa. Thank you so much for Oh, for yeah, sorry, me. one more thing. Oh, the okay. Cultural Front actually was our original webpage and you can find it there. And then I'll just tweet it out and um, tag Triple R in it as well. Amazing. Thanks so much, Beth. This was wonderful. It was good to talk to you. Always good to chat. Uh, we were just chatting there with academic and writer Dr. Tressa Leclerc, uh, who is one of the many wonderful people that are behind this First Nations and People of Colour Writers Count, looking at the number of books published by uh, First Nations and POC writers in 2018. Um, I've just uh, got it up now. If you do want to find out more information, you can head over to the AustralianCulturalFund.org.au um, forward slash POC Writers Count and you can find out some more information. Also um, up on Jed Press, that is D-J-E-D. You can find out uh, some more information. Uh, It is nearly time for me to get on out of here for another day. Uh, Do you want to say a massive thank you to my guests that really make this show so wonderful? Uh, A big thanks to Ojibwe journalist and author Tanya uh, Taliga for joining to talk all about her new book. It is called... All Our Relations, Indigenous Trauma in the Shadow of Colonialism. That one is out through Scribe um, and, yeah, highly recommend picking up a copy. 
also want to say a big thanks to writer and academic and no stranger to this program, Dr. Tressa Leclerc, for joining me to talk all about the really amazing research um, that she is a part of. It is the First Nations and People of Colour Count, which seeks to count the number of books published in 2018. You can check out more information um, on that on their Australian Cultural Fund page, Australian Cultural Cultural Fund page. Oof, wow, I've got to, got to get out of here. I'm losing it. My name is Beth AQ. I will be back with you next Wednesday from 1 o'clock. You have been listening to The Glass House. Have yourselves a great Wednesday afternoon. This is Beth AQ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website.